everything that you need to build a piece of meat that's beneficial for us, you can find in plants and put it in the product. I'm Talib Vizram, and this is World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. On today's episode, Remaking Meat. Over the course of the pandemic, people started cooking more. We've seen the endless Instagram stories of the banana bread, Dalgona coffee, and everyone's sourdough starters. And it wasn't just comfort food staples like meatloaf and pancakes. People bought more plant-based products too. People finally understand that we have a food crisis, um, the, re- the need for alternatives. Um, and that's the reason why I think both you know, the consumer side and also the investment community and also the entrepreneur community uh, has really accelerated over the last you know, uh, eight to 10 months. David Young is the founder and CEO of Green Monday, a social startup that aims at tackling climate change and global food insecurity. During the pandemic, he says people ate healthier because they were staying home more, and they also had more time to read about what goes on behind the scenes in the food industry. Ironically, 2020 was the breakthrough year for plant-based meats. You don't need to be a vegan to consume alternative meats. You know, everyone from the most hardcore meat eater to people who want to reduce I mean, this become a choice for them. So I see the demand for, you know, plant-based products really skyrocketing because we have gone from, as you said, just a fringe movement with a tiny, tiny demographic to now everyone who wants to be fit, who cares about wellness, who cares about the environment, they are all part of this movement. Despite this newfound interest in alternative meat products, global meat consumption is expected to rise by more than 1% this year. Industrial animal agriculture is one of the top three causes of environmental degradation. That's mainly down to water use and water pollution, soil desertification, chopping down the rainforest, and species loss. It takes nine calories fed to a chicken to get one calorie back out in the form of that animal's flesh. And chicken is the most efficient animal at turning crops into meat. What this means is you have to grow nine times as much land, you need nine times as much water, nine times as many pesticides and herbicides. Bruce Friedrich is the founder and executive director of the Good Food Institute, an international nonprofit that's reimagining meat production. He says we'll have two options to innovate in meat. We can either go plant-based or cultivated. That means it'll derive from plant materials or be grown from animal cells directly. We now have the opportunity to innovate in something even more fundamental. We can divorce meat from the inefficiencies and the other harms of the use of live animals. Just like your phone doesn't require a cord and a camera doesn't require analog film, so too meat does not require live animals. Friedrich is calling on more government funding in both sectors because he says it will help address massive global challenges like malnutrition, antibiotic resistance, and the existential threat of climate change. But until more governments take up this call to action, the private sector will have to take the helm. And one company, now a household name, has already begun making plant-based meat more available, which leads us to my guest today. Ethan Brown has been working with plant-based meat for over a decade. Not only the founder of one of the most well-known alternative meat brands in the world, Brown is also the president and CEO of Beyond Meat. 
The company's products are available in almost 120,000 retail and food service outlets, and it's reached over 80 countries. Here to give us a little taste of what the company has been up to since it launched its most recent product is the man himself. Well, welcome to the show, Ethan. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So, Ethan, I, I think a good place to start is, uh, you know, before they go cold, I was just delivered four fresh cheeseburgers by Beyond Meat. Um, they are, I believe, that the Beyond Burger 3.0 patties, which is the, the newest right. iteration. So I'm really excited, Tuckin. I, I haven't tried this before. You're going to get a real kind of neutral perspective because I am a meat eater. Mm. So I'm excited to tuck in it. And you have a couple burgers in front of you as well. I do. I do. And uh, yeah, I know you're exactly the consumer uh, that we're interested in. So I uh, hope you, you enjoy this uh, piece of meat. It's meat from plants. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to tuck in. Do you know what? That's actually pretty good. I'm going for another bite. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so, you. Um, Ethan, I have a confession for you. I've, this is my first time I've had a Beyond Burger. I've had an Impossible Burger. Okay. Not a Beyond Burger. <laughs> okay. Well, now you, you know, you graduated. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's really good. Honestly, uh, the texture, the texture and taste really, really kind of replicate, uh, real meat. Thank you. you. Know, can you tell me a little bit about why you keep kind of iterating the, the patty and, and what's new this time around? Yeah. So it's really, and first of all, thank you again for, for trying it and, and for your, your kind comments. So, you know, what we, um, what we really have tried to accomplish here is, is set up a system within Beyond Meat that is focused on constant improvement in our products. And we do that by uh, looking at four parameters, flavor, aroma, appearance, and, and texture. We call that fat. We built a innovation program called Beyond Meat Rapid and Relentless Innovation. And the design there is to get the current products that are on the shelf off the shelf and replace them with uh, new versions of Beyond as rapidly as we can. We invest a lot in that program. Uh, we have over 200 scientists and engineers that are working daily on, on trying to make our products better. And as we move toward uh, improvement, what we're looking for is not only improvement in taste and sensory experience, but we're looking for ways to continue to deliver health benefits to the consumer. And the third leg of that is to continue to drive the cost of our products down to the point where we'll be able to be at parity and then below that of animal protein. And so when you think about the improvements we've made to the Beyond Burger 3.0, it's really around continuing to drive that taste more toward a neutral beef taste, right? And so there's over 4,000 molecules that make meat taste like meat. And what we do here at Beyond Meat is uh, separate out those molecules, try to understand their characteristics, and then match them with molecules and plants and use those to drive our flavor systems. And we're just getting better at that every year. So the Beyond Burger today reflects that. It also has wins around, you know, 35% less saturated fat, less total fat, fewer calories than 2.0. So lots of lots of reasons to to get behind this product. Great. So so take me back to the start a little bit. You know, what was the inspiration behind starting Beyond Meat? Are we talking about, you know, the costly environmental factors of meat? Are we talking about health? You know, what were the kind of drivers for you? Yeah. So I think it's been a very long journey for me. And I really began this process as a child where I was, I grew up in the city, but we have a farm, which you can see behind me here, that I spent a lot of time at both on weekends and summer. Uh, my father's a professor. And so he had some time to be able to do that type of thing. And we had uh, Holstein cattle there. And so I learned a lot about agriculture and about animals. And I loved being out in, in, at our farm with, with the animals. And so I just always thought about it slightly differently than just someone who had been raised in the city and was just receiving, you know, a piece of beef or chicken or pork. I thought about the process a lot more than maybe someone 
right? And so if you just grow up in that environment where you're, you know, you're in the city, but you're also spending time out in the countryside and understanding where your food comes from, you think differently about it. And I certainly did as a child, but I got into energy as a field and I was working on that because of climate. And I began to understand that livestock was actually driving a larger percentage of greenhouse gas emissions than the work that I was doing to try to reduce fossil fuel dependence for transportation. And so I, I decided over many years to switch into this field and try to take all I'd learned from working in, in energy, which was to how to assemble big teams of scientists and engineers, how to couple them with the best managers, how to get robust budgets in place, and how to manage them toward a clear goal. And so I brought all of that to bear in this sector. And I think you know, Beyond Meat is, is uh, doing well uh, 12 years later. And you, know, you mentioned earlier that I am your target market, right? So, so are you targeting Beyond Meat at meat eaters rather than you know, already established vegetarians? Yes. And, and it's, I mean, it's a very interesting process that we go through to think about our consumers. So I mean, we're having success there in the sense that 93% of the consumers at Kroger, for example, uh, were putting animal protein in the cart as well as Beyond Meat when they were selecting for Beyond Meat. So we're, we're not just getting vegan or vegetarian customers. We're getting those customers that are what they would call flexitarian, right? That are switching between animal and plant-based uh, sources of, of protein. But for me, it's it's really even bigger than that in the sense that you know, I, I strongly believe that we can build a piece of meat perfectly from plants. There will be certain things we'll never be able to include, like cholesterol, but you don't want those anyway, right? And so everything that you need to build a piece of meat that's beneficial for us, you can find in plants and put it in the product. So we don't need to genetically modify. We don't need to bioengineer the inputs, but we do need to do the research and work to find them in nature and then to scale them and, and bring them to uh, the center of the plate. This can be done and science can do it. And I think it's important for the world that we do do it. So you you mentioned the flexitarian diet. Do you think that that's beneficial? Is that enough for people to kind of cut out a couple of their meat proteins a week for Beyond Meats? Is that kind of a a step on the right way? It is, but I'm not sure that's a lot of fun. I mean, I think what, what we're trying to do is enable people to continue to have the occasions that they, they love to have, whether it's you know getting a great burger after a ball game or having a, a delicious sausage for breakfast, but do it in a way that's better for them and better for the earth, right? And so if we're successful, the transition you'll see is a lot like the landline and the, the mobile phone. No one really had to, you, know, you didn't have to sort of say, well, I'm only going to have the landline a couple of days a week. You know, we just sort of went to the mobile phone because it's a better technology, right? And that's the change we're trying to affect. We don't need to make people feel bad about their current choices. You know, we evolved eating meat. Meat is a huge part of our culture and, and who we are as humans. But we think that with technology today, we can skip the animal and go directly to plants to harvest the core parts of meat. So I'd like to see folks embrace that as much as possible. And now, of course, we have we have Gen Z who are, you know, a very kind of environmentally conscious group and and kind of embracing buying plant based meats you know, more than any other group now. Uh, how much do they play into your marketing strategies? You know, I, I just love the generation. I, I admire what they're doing now. You know, the marches on climate, marches on gender uh, equality and, and things of that nature. Those are movements that are well overdue and, and they strengthen every generation. I mean, but this generation is taking it to a whole other level and has the means of mass communication at their disposal. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to watch. And so this is the same generation that's also saying, you know, I'm not sure I like how the food is getting us under the plate. I'm going to make a change. And so I applaud them. Whether it, it factored in directly to, to a marketing, I don't think so. It was more around, you know, these are the values that we're going to go after in the world. You know, we're going to try to reduce emissions. We're going to try to 
serve people healthy food and allow them to avoid some of these food-related diseases. We're going to tackle the issue of animal welfare. And I think that resonates with the generation. And I was just talking about this the other day. You, know, you can kind of either go out and accept the world as it is, or you can try to, to make the world as you would like it. And I think this generation is very focused on not just accepting the world and making changes. And so if they're gravitating toward the brand, we're after the same thing. So how healthy are you know, plant-based meats compared to real meat. You know, there have been reports that plant-based meats are still quite high in sodium or, you know, a little bit processed. You know, what's the what's the reality here? Yeah, so that's a good question. And and one of the things that I, I'm, I'm very excited about is the work we're doing with Stanford University. We continue to probe and, and, and understand different ingredients and, and the impact on the human body from a you know, development perspective. And the results uh, thus far have been amazing. So, you know, there's a lot of information out there in literature uh, around the, the health of plant-based eating, right? But there's less information about the health of plant-based meat, right? And then there's misinformation about that. There's you know, obviously incumbent industry and others that feel threatened and so are, are making you know, a lot of noise around that. So we wanted to cut through all that noise and actually generate some data. So we had Stanford design, without interference from us, a study that looked at the health implications on all key indices of uh, eight weeks of three servings of animal protein a day, and then eight weeks of three servings of Beyond Meat a day. So LDL cholesterol, which is the cholesterol that we can consider the bad cholesterol, drops significantly both in a clinical and statistical basis, as well as TMAO. So TMAO is, is a major indice within the gut of heart disease. And so both of those were big, big wins for us. And we're going to continue to do that over the next three or four years with Stanford. And you know, we gave them funds to do it. We have no input on how they design the studies or the outcomes of the studies. It's really important to them and to us. They're done with great integrity. You know, no one eats more of this product than my own family. So this is something that, that we're going to need to drive, which is the health and <clears throat> overall uh, health profile of our products. Are you now uh, fully off meat, Ethan? Well, off of animal meat, yes. <laughs> but right. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I am. But you know, that's not necessary for the consumer, right? The consumer can obviously enjoy our products and continue to enjoy animal protein. You know, and again, yeah. you would not find me to be one that's going to criticize that choice. Just a note, though, since we were talking about kind of the linguistics of plant-based meat, what, why do you not like the term fake meat? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I think it has to do with, I don't think it's fake. You can think about meat in two ways. One is its origin, and you can insist that it comes from chicken, cow, or pig, or other species. Uh, or you can think about meat in terms of composition. And I really think about meat in terms of composition. And if you think about it from a composition perspective, it really is amino acids, lipids, trace minerals, vitamins, and water. That's kind of what meat is. And all of those things are available in plants. And if you think what the animal's doing, right, is you're consuming those plants and they're organizing them in a certain structure. And we've been able to affect that same structure and century experience. So how much of the, you know, meat, meat market do you want to replace? How much do you want to kind of cut into? What I want to do is, is create products that are truly indistinguishable so that people feel there is no trade-off uh, from a sensory experience between having our products and animal protein. And if we can get that done, which I, I believe we can, and I think we're three or four years away from that, you know, it's up to the consumer. Like, uh, you know, if we can do these three things, we can get it to be indistinguishable from a sensory experience. We can continue to drive home the health message and then we can underprice animal protein. I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't know the exact number the, the market will get, but it could be considerable if we achieve those three objectives, which we're working toward every day. So how do you convince the more skeptical people, you know, perhaps not Gen Z, perhaps older people who, you know, we have the this kind of discourse of, you know, Joe Biden's trying to take your hamburgers and, yeah. you know, the Green New Deal is going to, you know, get rid of hamburgers. How, how do you kind of convince the more skeptical people to, to jump on board? You know, I think the biggest and most effective tool we have is sampling. I think that 
that once they have it, they begin to understand this tastes great. They feel better. Like if you look at the athletes, for example, we work with, so many of them are using the product for, for kind of world positive reasons around it, but also because they're finding that they perform better with it. Right. And so if you look at Chris Paul, he's one of my favorite examples. He's here at LA Night 36. He was in the running for uh, the MVP the season. You know, last year he caught a dunk in the 2020 All-Star game. And they asked him after the game, how are you still getting up? You know, like 17 years in the league or however many it was. And he said, look, I went plant-based and I just don't have the inflammation I used to have. And so there's all these levers that we can pull on to help convince people that this is really the right thing for them to do for their own body. One of my other favorite examples is I have a close friend who is a hunter. He's a Trump supporter. You know, he's very much not in the profile of what you would think for our consumer. But you know what? At some point, his doctor said to him that he has to reduce his red meat consumption, right? That works. When, it, when someone hears that, it cuts across ideological boundaries. It cuts across you know, societal boundaries and gives you the opportunity to do something healthier for yourself. And so we provide that. You know, you mentioned your athletic partnerships and, and you have some of these are kind of across different sports. You, you have uh, partnerships with Lindsey Vaughn, Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Hopkins. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So that was a very conscious choice by us back, you know, over a decade ago now. You know, I grew up in the era of gut milk campaign. That was, I think, a very effective tool by the milk industry to try to convince families that their children needed milk in order to, to be strong and robust, right? And so you could go into schools back then and see posters of athletes and musicians with milk mustache and, and things of that nature. So when it came time for us to design a marketing platform, that was what immediately came to mind. And I actually started working with someone named Jeff Manning, who was the original sponsor of that campaign. And then uh, with a gal we have here, Beth Moskowitz, we started to build out a platform of athletes that were benefiting from consuming our products. And this wasn't like a pay-to-play type thing. We allowed them to invest in the business. We gave them a small number of shares alongside that to, <clears throat> to become advocates. And they just took off with it because they started to realize they were getting these great benefits. Chris is a good example. DeAndre, all of them are seeing that this helps them to perform better. And so to me, that was super important because it conveyed these folks who rely on their bodies to earn their income are making this change, then it's really worth considering. And I think it's worked. You know, the other piece was one that was kind of um, around needing to attack dead on a misconception about plant protein. It was somehow inferior. You know, and this dates back actually to Dickens and, and where, where, where folks were, if they were poor, uh, one of the reasons the upper class thought they were, were, were poor was they didn't have access to meat, right? And this somehow was, was you know, uh, impeding their ability for cognitive functioning or something of that nature. We wanted to say straight on that it's really not about the delivery mechanism from a amino acid perspective, if you have the right amino acids. Mm. And so we tried to just attack that dead on that, that notion that you were going to be weaker or somehow inferior. In fact, it's the opposite, right? This is a really clean delivery of amino acids and, and healthy fats and things of that nature. So we wanted to use athletes to help convey that message. And I think it worked. And then speaking of partnerships, you also have a lot of corporate partnerships, uh, your PepsiCo, McDonald's, are you able to give us a, an update on the McPlant? <laughs> I have to let them speak on all of that, but I'll tell you, they've been great partners to us. And, and uh, when we started the business, we always sought out kind of the best partners we could find, right? That's an obvious point, but you have to be patient, right? And so we were patient, uh, you know, whether it's launching first at Whole Foods, 
or you know, doing everything we could to win over McDonald's as a, as a partner, to win over KFC or the other young brands, uh, Pizza and Taco Bell. That was really important to us because we know that's where folks eat. And I grew up eating at those places. I really enjoyed the experience and wanted to make sure that we were where in the main people were consuming meat. And these partnerships have, have now spread to China, right? So I, I just read this morning that, that with KFC, you have a, a spicy beef wrap in, in China. Uh, you have Beyond Pork for Chinese yeah. consumers. How is kind of setting up the operation and, and the factories in China? It was really hard because of COVID. Uh, so not being able to be over there. But I tell you, we were really fortunate to have some great management there. A friend and advisor is a guy named Mickey Pont, who was the CEO of Young China. He's actually on our board now. And uh, he helped me to build out that team. I'm really excited about that economy and what we can do there, uh, both uh, both the EU and China. And how's the uptake over there so far? It's good. We're just, you know, we, we just finished sort of commercial runs at our at our new facility. You know, they're very big on local production. So we're looking to put that to work. And it's been good so far, and we only expect it to grow. So, you know, earlier on, I mentioned that I tried the um, the Impossible Burger. Yeah. Uh, do you consider Impossible uh, a competitor or, or are you guys on the same team? I mean, I think it's we're in the same league, I would say. I think they're a good competitor. I mean, they're they're a good company doing good things. We do them differently. We, we do no genetic modification. We do no bioengineering of our, of our inputs. We are very focused on a clean ingredient profile. So I think, I think what they're doing is good in the sense it's drawing more and more attention to the category. Just the last thing then, Ethan, what's in the future for you? And you know, can I ask, is lab-grown meat a concern as a competitor? Or again, are you kind of um, on the same team with, with the lab-grown meats as well? I think, I think uh, lab-grown meat has a role. That I looked at that in kind of the 2005 period when I was beginning to think about Beyond Meat in a, in a more serious way. And the reason I stayed away from it had to do with where I was coming from. You know, I was in the fuel cell sector. And fuel cells are incredibly elegant solution. They're, they're, they're going to be ubiquitous at some point. But we were hitting all kinds of cost challenges, particularly around catalysts we we're using. And I didn't want to go from that into another technology project that I could not see the commercialization cost down curve. I just couldn't see it. And you know, this is all these years later, it's still very, very expensive. And I think part of what we need to do here is to be able to begin to underprice animal protein to have the effect we want to have. And so it concerns me in that regard. And the second piece that was concerning was around consumer uh, uptake. You know, it, it is, it, we are very conservative with regard to what we put in our mouths. And so I think, you know, there's going to be a big education effort needed to make people comfortable putting something that's been grown in a lab into the mouths of their children and things of that nature. But I think it's a good tool and it's something that I'm going to keep watching. Well, Ethan, uh, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, and for the cheeseburgers, I, I have dinner now for the next three nights. So uh... <laughs> enjoy them. Enjoy them. Listen, I really appreciate it. And thank you guys so much. So my first takeaway uh, as a meat eater is I was pleasantly surprised uh, by the the cheeseburgers. They were actually, like I said, the text, taste and texture were were kind of very similar to to, to that of meat. My main question is, how do you convince people like me uh, or, you know, older people who are stuck in their habits of, you know, eating chicken or, or beef or whatever it is a few times a week to change their minds, even if they're open to eating more Beyond Meat, more plant-based meat? How, how do you get them to actually change their minds? A lot of it came down to the athletic partnerships, the corporate partnerships that Ethan talked about. You know, he talked about how Got Milk was such an influential campaign when he was younger. But, but, you know, as Gen Z, you know, start to make purchasing decisions and become a bigger segment, uh, I think we're going to see plant-based meat really, really cut into the industry. 
that's it for our show today. Join us next time to learn more about the innovative leaders seeking to make a difference in our ever-changing world. Please give us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Talib Vizran. Our show is produced and edited by Avery Miles. <laughs>